This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Uh, my name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have you at South Fellowship Church this morning. We're continuing a series that we're calling Tune My Heart. In 1757, a man by the name of Robert Robinson penned the words to the great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the first stanza, the first line of that hymn is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. And we've been asking over the last few weeks the question to God, God, how do you tune the human soul in order that we might sing and receive and walk in the goodness of your grace? And the truth of the matter is, is that for centuries, um, more than that, followers of Jesus have been embracing what we call spiritual disciplines. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word discipline, I usually don't get a great vision in my mind of what that looks like. But today, um, and over the course of this series, our goal is to reframe that a bit. This morning, we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of celebration. The spiritual discipline of celebration, and yes, you heard me right, discipline and celebration all in the same sentence, okay? I, um, my daughter, Avery, she's three and um, must have watched at some point the movie Rio recently because she's been singing or humming in her head, you've got to move it, move it, you've got to move it. And so my, my three-year-old daughter, she comes up to me the other morning and she says, Daddy, you've got to move it, move it, you've got to, and she's humming throughout the whole day. Now she doesn't just hum, you've got to move it, move it. She's like, she's dancing, like full on, you've got to move it. And I realized that there's um, numerous differences between my daughter and I, but one of the main ones is this. She needs a reason not to dance, and I need a reason to dance. It's a subtle, yet I think important distinction. I've realized that really I can divide my life into two categories, um, living and waiting to live. And in many ways, much of my day and much of my time is spent waiting to live. Um, going from one appointment to the next, waiting for a meeting to start, waiting for a meeting to end. And if I'm waiting for a meeting to end, that I'm running, that's um, extremely painful. Waiting to drive someplace, waiting to check off that next thing on my task list. I don't know about you, but for me, those are all moments. Those waiting moments are all moments that I'm likely to not be fully present to God. To the fact that even in the waiting, he's there. That his voice is still stirring. I'm impatient. You might be too. I think as people... We need to re-embrace the desire to learn, and it is learning how to experience and live lives of joy. It doesn't come natural for us. It, it Maybe it should, but it doesn't. And I want to tell you this morning that joy is at the heart of God's plan for humanity. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for Humanity. I love the way that the author Lewis Smedes puts it, and he says this, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. 
To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. And if you think about it, this God who created us in his image is the most joyful being in the universe. In the universe. Could it be that when God plants in our DNA an image bearing of our maker, that one of the things he wires deep inside of our soul is both the desire and the capacity to live lives of joy? Hey, newsflash, this just in. Heaven is not a depressing place. I mean, I mean nobody's in heaven going bored. I'm bored, or, or I wish there were fill-in-the-blank here. Or, you know, the food's so-so. That meal was okay. Hoping for dinner, the little improvement there. I mean, heaven is the most joy-filled place because it is in the presence, it's permeated with the presence of the most joy-filled being, God himself. I suspect, I have this hunch that most of us seriously underestimate God's capacity for joy. Here's the thing. Will you look up at me for just a moment this morning? I think God wants to tune our hearts today to live in the joy that he designed us for because it is our destiny. And the better we get at living joy-filled lives here on earth, the more comfortable we will be in our eternal home. I love the way that Jesus tells this parable. He starts it off with this, and we're just going to read the first line of the parable. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. So, so the kingdom of heaven is like a party. A free party where there's dancing and eating and singing and rejoicing. One of the central metaphors that Jesus uses and the scriptures use to describe eternity and to describe what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God now is feast, party, rejoicing, celebration. And I'm going to use the word party this morning because I think that it needs some redemption. I think it needs followers of Jesus to step up and say, we're going to throw great parties. Why should non-Christians have the best parties? That's just ridiculous. We have way better reason to celebrate than anybody else on the face of the planet. Therefore, I think we should throw better celebrations. So I'm going to use the word party this morning. I hope that's all right with you, but here's the truth I want us to wrap our hearts and our minds around is that God tunes our hearts to live in joy, and that's his design for you. It's deeply woven into your DNA to live in joy through the discipline, you can circle it in your outline if you want, of celebration. Learning the spiritual discipline of celebration is absolutely key and central to our spiritual health. It will help us persevere, persevere through the dark seasons of life, and it will help us notice the good seasons of life. See, celebration involves activities that bring pleasure. Gathering with people we love, eating, 
and drinking, singing, and dancing. Spiritual celebration simply means doing those things while reflecting on the wonderful God that has given us such pleasures. So, what does it look like to be followers of Jesus who celebrate really well? Did you know that in the Old Testament, in the, in the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 70 to 80 days that are commanded for feasting. As in God says, if you're my people, you will throw good parties. <laughs> 70 to 80 days you do it. How many days commanded for fasting? One. One day for fasting. 70 to 80 for rejoicing and feasting. One for fasting. Could it be that God knows something about the way that he wired us? And the fact that he does work in our soul as we pause to celebrate, to throw good parties. I love the way that the often offbeat theologian Robert Capone puts it when he says this. He says, grace is the celebration of life, relentlessly hounding at the non-celebrants of the world and sometimes in the church. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its cassation in every window, pounding at every door in hilarity beyond all liking and happening until the prodigals come out at last and dance. And the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. He says, grace... It's a celebration of life. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have better reason to celebrate than anyone. Christians should be the most free, the most alive, the most interesting people on the face of the planet. Unfortunately, many deeply religious people are known to be lifeless and joyless and boring. Maybe. Maybe we should start exacting church discipline on people who just don't live in the joy that God commanded us to live in. Well, Jesus came as the joy, great joy bringer, didn't he? I mean, he was, so part of our measure for how well we know Jesus is how well we walk in joy. I think it's one of the reasons that Jesus was so comfortable being around children, because they just, they didn't need a reason to be filled with joy. They simply were. They were breathing, and so they're filled with joy most of the time. I read this week that, that children laugh between three and 500 times a day. Um, I think we met the quota at our kitchen table for breakfast yesterday, and it about drove me crazy. I mean, just heartfelt, belly-giggling. Adults laugh 15 to 20. 15 to 20. What happens to us as we quote-unquote mature? See, God's intention is that his creation, you and I, would reflect his joy. 
would reflect his joy. In fact, the psalmist writes, he's talking about the skies and the stars, and he says, in them, in the skies, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out, the sun, it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Now, that's an exciting moment for the bridegroom to see his, his bride. He says, created in his, in, or, sorry, leaving his chamber like a strong man It runs its course with joy. Have you ever imagined the sun laughing and singing and dancing its way across the sky? Do you know the problem with humanity is not that we have too much joy. You've never met somebody that was too joyful. If you think you have, they simply mirrored back to you your inability to live in joy. In fact, Jesus says, in John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, these things, these commands I've spoken to you, that my joy, so I gave you these commands that my joy might be in you, that it might sink deeply into your soul, and that your joy might be full his desire for you. That's his intention for you. So the Bible commands us. Finally, my brothers, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. The Bible puts joy in a non-optional category. It's not live lives of joy or rejoice if, fill in the blank, or when, fill in the blank. There's no footnote there. It's simply rejoice. Rejoice. See, I I think celebration, rejoicing, can be simply defined as taking time to pause and smell the roses. Well, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time this morning. If you're wondering, Ryan, was that an introduction? Yes, it was. I hope you brought a snack today. Just kidding. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me give you a little bit of context as we start to dive into this passage that is going to teach us and tune our hearts to what it looks like to live lives of celebration. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra were part of a group that went back to Jerusalem after the the, um, Israelite people had been in captivity in Babylon for a number of years, century plus. They went back to go start rebuilding the wall and the temple. And they finished the wall in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. And in chapter 8, they gather the whole community of people together and they start to read the law. They start to read the Torah. The, the, the first five books of our Bible, they open them up at the beginning of daybreak and they start to read. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. It says this. And Ezra opened the book. In sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Now, this is not morally above or better than. He's simply on a platform standing above. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the peoples answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodai, Masai, Kelita, Azur. Yeah, that's what I thought. And all the Levites, and they helped the people understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they unpacked God's word. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense, they, they, under, they explained it, they unpacked it so that the people understood the reading. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, they taught the people and said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to unpack for you four um, distinctives of living a celebratory joy-filled life from this passage. First, first, here's what we see. He says in verse 10, go your way, as in get the party started, okay? Celebration is always intentional. It never happens by accident. You don't ever um, get done with a situation and say, I think we've celebrated, no, it's, it's always intentional. And so what, what Nehemiah and Ezra tell the people is, is go. It's the time for reading is done. The time for weeping is done. The time for mourning is over. Go get the party started. You know, celebration is always a choice. It's always a choice. It never happens by accident. It's the, it's the intentional decision to choose deliberate joy. It's possible. So the psalmist will write in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day, as in today is the day. And when you read that tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day. And when you read it in five years, that'll be the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, why? I mean, why rejoice? <laughs> Why take time to pause and to, to call the time out and celebrate? Well, the psalmist says, because God made today. And the reason you have breath in your lungs is because he wants you to. And he seems to think that the fact that you're alive is reason enough to dance and to sing and to celebrate. See, I think celebration is primarily a choice to stop doing a myriad of other things in order that we might be able to focus wholly on the present. Because this day is the only day you have to celebrate. It's the only day you have to celebrate. The present now is a gift from God. And so much of our life is spent tied up in regret from the past or anxiety towards the future that it actually prevents us and robs us of the beautiful invitation that God gives us to this day rejoice and to celebrate 
but it, it requires us to say, time out, time out. And all the other things going on in life to just hit that pause button. And you look at the life of Nehemiah and Ezra, there was a number of things that they still had to do. There was a number of tasks that they still had to accomplish. But God's wiring for them was stop, party, and see me in it all. See me in it all. See, if we aren't intentional about celebration, it will not happen. I was um, driving back. I happen to remember the day. Um, I was driving from California to Colorado. Kelly and I were moving. She had flown out early, and my dad and I were caravanning with our stuff. Um, I was cruising out of Las Vegas and down into the desert, and my phone rang, and it was my wife. And I answered it, and she said, Happy anniversary. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> and I looked at my phone, and sure enough, June 1st, I looked at my phone and, and thought, sweet justice, I'm in trouble. I'm in the desert, literally and figuratively, I'm in trouble. And so, oh, happy anniversary to you. And I'm like, there's no recovery from that. There's none. And so she says, I know, I forgot too. My mom just reminded me, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There is a God in heaven. Now, the, the moral of the story is if you're ever, man, if you're ever going to forget your anniversary, make sure your wife forgets on the same day. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow. How many times do I, my daily life, I don't miss anniversaries much. How many times do I miss opportunities to celebrate? How many times is my phone more important than the present? How many times is my attention split between a number of different conversations that I'm having and I'm unable to simply be aware of the way that God is showering his presence and his grace down on me now? So in this great parable between, uh, it's a parable about God and, and you and I. It's called the parable of the, the sons, the prodigal sons. I'm actually just going to read verse 32 because after this dialogue between the older son and the dad, the dad says this. He says, it was fitting, or some translations, I love it. It says, we had to celebrate. It was fitting that we should celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he was found. We have to breathe. We have to drink water. We have to eat food. We have to celebrate. We, we, we had to celebrate. As in, if we didn't, this act of grace, this goodness of the Father would not have been completed. It was only in its completion form, completed form, when the party was going and the music was playing and the dancing was happening. That's what made the story complete. Without that, this act of grace is completely, horribly incomplete. 
And in many ways, celebration takes the abundant bounty of goodness that God lavishes on us consistently, and it just hits pause long enough to say, wow, God, you are good. Let me give you just three roadblocks that I sense in my own life to intentional, deliberate celebration. One is we have no margin in our lives for it. We have no margin in our lives for it. That we think a schedule in our iPhone is more important than the people around us and the celebrations that maybe, maybe, maybe just have to happen. See, celebration has to be intentional, but that doesn't mean it can't be spontaneous. Let me give you an example. Um, On December 4th, I believe it was, I can't remember the exact date, my son and I are sitting at the table shortly after my mother passed away. And he says to me, Dad, um, where's Grandma? And I said, well, buddy, Grandma's with Jesus in heaven. And he says, well, I want to go to heaven. And I said, well, well buddy, the, what, what God tells us is that we need to receive him into our hearts if we want to go to heaven. And so sort of unpacking it theologically as best I can for a four-year-old. And he says, well, well then I want Jesus in my heart. And I said, well, that's awesome, buddy. You just, let's just, let's pray and you can ask Jesus into your heart. Why why don't you just do that? Why don't you say, Jesus, I want you to come live in my heart. And so we're sitting at this, at the breakfast table sometime in early December. And in light of grandma being in heaven, my son prays to receive Jesus into his heart. So we went and got ice cream. I mean, we went, we, it's, I'm not going to let that moment pass me by. As a dad, did I have other stuff on my calendar? You better believe I did. But we went and we let him pick out, what ice cream do you want? How much of it do you want? Let's celebrate well because that's the best decision, the most important decision you're ever going to make. And he made it at four. So now chocolate ice cream is Jesus ice cream. <laughs> Praise be to God. Right? But... But it's, it's taking those moments, it's, it's as, as, as parents, as coworkers, as employees, as whatever, it's taking those moments to celebrate God's goodness. But sometimes we just don't have the margin for it. Uh, the second, I think, would be the, the wrestle, the struggle with being present. I don't think multitasking is helping anyone. Just don't. I mean, research shows it's not helping us be more productive. It's hard to argue that it's making us be more present. Instead of trying to do one thing, now we're trying to do two or three or four. And I think it's actually preventing us from celebrating. Because if you're trying to be two places at once, are you really anywhere? And three, it's an, we have an inability to see common grace, God's goodness to us on a daily basis as his blessing. So the psalmist says, Rejoice. Why? Well, because God made today. As if you shouldn't need any other reasons. Just rejoice. You're alive. Rejoice. So I think followers of Jesus, we, should, we have more reason to celebrate than anybody else. Therefore, we should throw the best celebrations and we should be intentional about it. So can I invite you, if you're taking notes or maybe if you're planning your grocery list, if you're planning your to-do list, write to-do. Plan our next party. Okay, plan your next part. 
Nehemiah goes on. He says this, go your way, as in get the party started. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. So not only is celebration intentional, celebration is lavish. It's lavish. He says, eat the fat, literally eat the best is what the the phrase means. As good as you can find it, get the best meat, get the best drink, get the best vegetables, get the best fruits, and really, really, really dig in and enjoy. Do you love that about our God? Eat the the best, he says. It's not a waste of your resources to intentionally and deliberately plan to celebrate well. Because, hey, hey, nobody in heaven's going, steak was a little overcooked. Right? It could, have been, it could have been better. Or last year, our years, I, well, it was better then. No. I think one of the most spiritual things we can do is with good friends around big tables to eat wonderful meals and drink good drinks because good banquets remind us of the great coming banquet. So, celebration, even lavish. I chose the word lavish because it has this tinge, this hint of being wasteful, and on the surface, it can seem like that, but as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it, you start to see that the quality actually reminds you of the fact that God is present and that he is good. And he says, you'll never hunger when you're with me. You'll never thirst when you're with me. He's lavish. Come, buy food and drink without money, without cost, Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 55. In the story, the same story of the prodigal, it says that the father kills the fatted calf, the the prized possession of the family. They, They kill that calf on that day. Why? To have a party, to just simply celebrate. So is it unspiritual or unwise to save up for a celebration, for a party, for a vacation where you intentionally hit the pause button and say, God, open my eyes to everything that you're doing and all that you've given me so that I might rejoice? No, it's not unspiritual. It's not unbiblical. In fact, it's one of God's best invitations to you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It may be the missing ingredient in tuning our heart. See, see, in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the, the author Solomon has everything that he could ever want. And part of his conclusion of the book is, is fairly troubling because he goes, it's all meaningless. Chasing after more and the desire to have bigger and better and shinier. And you know what one of his other conclusions in the book is? One of the ways that we sense God's goodness and his grace is by hitting pause on the button that causes us to desire and want more to just simply enjoy the things he's given us. So here's how the message version of it puts it. In Ecclesiastes chapter nine, he writes, seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. Oh, yes, God, or drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. 
So Nehemiah instructs us, hey, throw great parties and, and go to them. You know, you're, you're an attendee at your party. Eat good food, drink good drink. And then he also says, but don't miss it. There's people around you who don't have enough resources. So he says, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. So even our, our celebration is generous. It's outwardly focused. We're looking for people who don't have enough to either invite them in or to generously give. But Nehemiah says, eat good food, drink good drink. Maybe, maybe after church today, you just invite somebody in your section to go out to lunch with you. Maybe that's an application Maybe you, maybe you start to plan your next party and you, you don't just get the cheapest cut of beef, but you get the best. And if you do that, my number is 760-587. So he goes on. He says, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord. Now, that's awesome. We're going to come back to that in just a second. He says, don't be grieved. Because they read the word, they read the law, and their first inclination as it hit them was, wow, God, we haven't lived up to your standard. And you'll see in chapter 9 as they confess and as they try to get right before God. But he says, no, 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 no. Today isn't a day of grieving. Today isn't a day of mourning. Today isn't a day of tears. Because, hey, a lot of days could be like that if we just let our emotions go crazy, couldn't they? And he says, no, 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 not today. Not today. This day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he says, here's the deal. In light of what God has done, you have this ability to choose joy. And he says, as you do that, as you choose joy, and as you celebrate eating, drinking, singing, celebrating, partying, rejoicing, as you do that, he tunes your heart, and you are strengthened. See, celebration not only needs to be intentional, should be a little bit lavish, but it's formative. It's formative. Feasting will shape you as much or more than fasting, friends. There's a season and there's a time for both, but it's not more spiritual to be depressed and to be mourning. In fact, it's not reflective at all of your eternal home. So if we want to get used to being in heaven, because eternal life doesn't just start when you die, it actually starts now. You know that, right? Like, like the eternal life God talks about is continuous. It starts the moment you meet Jesus and it never ends. It's not like we die and then all of a sudden change and our personality is different and our affections are. No, we're, we're continuous beings. So in deliberately choosing joy, having our hearts shaped and formed through celebration prepares us well. For our eternal home. In fact, uh, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a bulwark. It's a protection for you. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, rejoice. Paul says, it's no trouble for me to say it again. I'll tell you again, rejoice. And it's a safeguard for you, as in it catches you when you're going to fall. 
So I think the absence of joy, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, the absence of joy is weakness. It's susceptibility. It's openness to sin. See, times of feasting were transformational experiences for the saints of the Old Testament. And the key, I love the way that Dallas Ward talks about this in many of his books, but he says, one of the keys to spiritual growth and transformation is to wire and design our lives so that the desires and deception of sin starts to lose its taste. So he says, hey, if we're full in the Lord, if we've celebrated well and know God's goodness and sense his grace in a way that fills us up, and that is God's design for you, it starts to make the, the, the conjuring, sort of beckoning idea that sin wants us to come closer, that the Bible explains, it starts to lose its grip a little bit. Because we just don't need it. Because we just don't need it. In the same way that fire needs oxygen to grow and to spread, so too does sin need unmet expectations. And celebration is one of those things that drives us deeper and deeper into the recognition of God's goodness and grace in a way that frees us to live lives of joy now, today. And when we celebrate, we exercise this muscle in us, in our hearts, where we see his goodness and know his grace and our capacity starts for joy starts to increase. So celebration and discipline, yes, yes. We need to learn better how to live in the joy that God designed us for and it is transformative. Here's the way that Nehemiah ends this section and where we'll end as well. It says, so the Levites calmed all the people I mean, you wonder, I mean, calmed them from their weeping and also calmed them from their shock. Like, wait, we were just crying and now you want us to go party? Like we were on our face like sackcloth and we were going sackcloth and ashes direction and now we're going, now we're going um, pita bread and fish sticks and, and good hummus? What? Steak, I'm sure. Bacon if they weren't Hebrews. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so he calmed them. He says, be quiet for this day is holy do not be grieved. It's the third time in this passage it said that. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send their portions and to make great rejoicing because they'd understood the words that were declared to them. Here's the final thing that we learn about celebration. Sacred. Sacred. By sacred, I mean a space and place where God meets us and he interacts with us. I think that many times our view of spirituality is far too small. Because spirituality often sort of is relegated to the do's and the don'ts and the behaviors. And, and oftentimes it leans towards, well, God must be upset with me because... Fill in the blank. And so I shouldn't, I'm guilty if I'm happy or enjoying life or him. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, teaches a completely different form of interacting with God that dialogue and party and rejoicing can be just as spiritual as silence. That dancing just as spiritual as kneeling. 
feasting just as spiritual as fasting. The command, do not grieve. Why? Because today is holy. It's set apart. Today is a day to recognize God's goodness to you. So don't stop your crying. Start your partying. Do you know that, that, that holiday, the, the word holiday was originally two words put together. Holy day. What if we, as followers of Jesus, started to redeem that? What if we started to actually expect that God was present in the party? That God was there in the good food and the good drink and the good friends and the good conversations? What if we expected him to show up then just as much as we expect him to show up here in this room? What if our gathering started to be distinguished by celebration and joy? I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it as he writes from jail the following words. God cannot endure that unfestive, mirthless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious busy haste or even with shame. Through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. See, there's a special, unique, beautiful way that God meets us in the beauty and simplicity of celebration, of calling the time out on the, the proverbial runaway train of life to just say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to smell the roses and God, you're good. One of the best things you can do for your relationship with God may be, may be to host a really good party with good food and good drinks and good conversation because God transforms us and he meets us in that place. Friends, my desire for us as followers of Jesus is that we would be known for celebrating really, really for pausing long enough to see God's goodness and his grace in our midst. Pausing long enough to, to recognize we didn't deserve any of it and to turn back to him and those around us to say, thank you. It's one of the most beautiful, spiritual, freeing things you can do. And South Fellowship Church, I pray that we are a church that celebrates and parties really, really well. And you see, anytime we understand God's work, specifically his work in the person of Jesus, there's always cause for celebration. Always. Not a day will pass you by that doesn't deserve to be celebrated. Hey, hey just really quick, before we close, I just want to encourage those of you that are young parents like me, Every, every older parent that I talk to has told me, and, and there may be some amens after this, that that season of life flies by you. And if we don't take time to celebrate well, the little things and the big things and hopefully everything in between, it will fly by. 
intentional, deliberate, joy-choosing celebration is one of those ways to hit pause on a world that's in fast-forward. And I pray that we will do it really, really well. Because South Fellowship Church, you've got to move it, move it. You've got to move it, move it. Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't be people uh, that would wait for a reason to dance, but that we would choose joy on a daily basis, that we would be intentional with the way, Father, that we look at life and the way that we celebrate in every single season that you bring. Oh, Lord, please, would you teach us what it looks like to be people who party really, really, really well to the glory of God and for our joy that we might walk closely with you. Uh, We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.